Hello everyone. This is Minds of Late Capitalism, and it is Chirag and Prithvi over here. We are going to talk about existentialism and various philosophers who have done work related to existentialism today, and also a little bit about how there is an ongoing quote-unquote digital revolution, according to Brian Rose on London Real TV. So, speaking of existentialism, let's start with. the basic definition to make you all understand what existentialism means existentialism is a humanism was the first essay or rather a lecture by sartre which led to the creation of being a nothingness in 1946 in his book being a nothingness sartre defines existentialism as man first of all exists with no predetermined nature or purpose he encounters himself in the world and has the freedom to choose and determine his nature and what shall become of him does this through actions for which each is completely and utterly responsible in a sense man first of all exists encounters himself serves up in the world and he defines himself afterwards so existentialism was created much much long ago by the father of existentialism soren kierkegaard chirag would you like to talk about him yes but first of all i would like to talk about the impact on society existentialism and its impact on society so the first thing is the idea originated in the 19th century by danish philosopher soren kierkegaard and existentialist ideas were originated in the 19th century but it progressed much more in the 20th century because it was it was a time of in which there was less freedom because there was communist ussr fascist nazi germany and colonial british rule so the despair that many existentialists articulate about has been uh, has been done till 1970s and continues to this day as a popular way of reasoning so you may ask the question if i mean the whole world we pretend that it is free so is is existentialism still relevant today and i promise that by the end of this podcast we will tell you why it is still relevant in the 21st century so starting with soren kierkegaard soren kierkegaard was a philosopher and theologian and he was a christian but unlike many others he wanted to become a christian within christendom He, his hero was socrates his something his father told him when he was young that haunted him a lot that and that thing was that he, he won't live past 34 and this thing uh, led to anxiety and dread within him which also i think was the reason for his literary production so according to kierkegaard there are three existences in which a person exists the first one is the aesthetic and these uh, existence spheres are hierarchical i mean the aesthetic if you consider is the like the basement of existence Ex- your existence doesn't really matters that much or isn't fruitful the ethical is the maybe the first floor and the religious the second floor so let me start with it uh, is the aesthetic is designed to give pleasure through beauty the aesthetic is interested in manipulating people in situations now the second thing is the ethical 
in the ethical the moral principles dictate the person's behaviors this is also termed as super ego by freud so this is an interesting thing uh soren kierkegaard talks a lot about um anxiety and and things which are ethical spheres don't you think that if he existed in a time which was not as much early maybe if he existed in the 20th century he could have been into psychology uh yeah i actually believe that he had very ground breaking psychological ideas i think he was the first one to coin the term anxiety itself which yes. is book anxiety yes so okay uh, so moving to the third third the highest sphere of existence according to kierkegaard religious the religious resigns themselves to laws they accept it and there is they, the religious takes a leap of faith in the absurd they act and they keep going so according to kierkegaard only in this religious sphere can the contradictions of the human conditions be reconciled according to him there are two factors which determine our life the finite and the infinite so what kierkegaard is saying that the individual loses himself sometimes in the finite and sometimes in the infinite so if you lose yourself in the finite it is that you are losing yourself in the binds in in binds the society that holds you that society holds you by which is like you have to do this do that and do this you are limiting yourself to society's expectations and this often leads you to when you contemplate what your life has been it, it often leads to depression and to lose oneself in the infinite a person keeps thinking what they can become what never becomes any of these possibilities because if you waste a lot of time just thinking about what you can do you never actually do it so the kkr solution to all these problems is one very simple thing and maybe that that is what really uh, attracted him towards christianity that, that is to take a leap of faith just take a leap of faith choose one thing and take a leap of faith just go with it and at least you will still make an act, do an act, make an action so kk garden is uh, books used third person stories he wrote under third person names and he used pseudonyms so according to kk garden most men are subjective towards themselves and objective towards others where where it should be where it should be opposite so most men are subjective towards themselves most men are have personal reasoning towards what they do and they are not objective towards what they do and they whereas according to kierkegaard it should be the opposite so according to kierkegaard there is there are stairs of what you call three stairs first is anxiety and when you climb up to, to anxiety you reach dread and when you climb up to the to dread you reach despair So according to Kierkegaard he says that many people who are in despair are not aware about it people often use earthly activities to distract themselves of this hopelessness that one may feel if they don't distract themselves so what he's saying is that most of the time we use activities suppose like you play suppose you like playing tennis and if you don't one day you can't go and play tennis because maybe a friend is sick then you feel some an emptiness a void and so so people have been avoiding this dread this void this despair forever their life but 
what he is saying is that it existed forever and you may say that some people don't feel it at all so what i will what i will say and what kk what will say if it they didn't feel feel it at all then maybe they battle it at some times and they won or they never even touch the topic so so there's one thing many people view anxiety and dread as bad things but according to kierkegaard these are just battles that one individual must fight to grow towards something more so speaking about finite and infinite we do define the finite as earthly pleasure gradually that sort certain kierkegaard believes to be the most common of all ways to live one has never even thinking about the infinite and limited possibilities that one could pursue in their life none of them is limited to the finite opportunities available to them the earthly pleasure binds them as you said how does one escape this like you said there is a leap of faith but that is only in the religious sphere as you said it is the highest floor of the metaphysical house that we must climb that is our mind itself to create an authentic self how must one take these undertakings and climb these stairs of life what would you say on that Uh, can you maybe rephrase your question? Your question was so big it started somewhere else and then it ended somewhere else. Maybe when can you rephrase the question a bit? Okay, in simple terms, I would like to ask you how does one climb the metaphysical steps and raise oneself from the aesthetic sphere of life to the next, which is the moral or ethical sphere, and then to the next, the religious. I mean, how does one escape it? or become okay. better okay well uh, one second so what kkr also said that when you just one one sphere it is impossible that you are living your whole life in one sphere maybe you some at some time of the day you are living in aesthetic aesthetic you are being in a street and in some times you take moral decisions and so it is to philosophize you have to judge which uh, to philosophize you have to judge which one of these stairs in your life do you value more and then you take the leap of faith towards a more better form of life i would say So again, the leap of faith comes into the religious sphere of life. The aesthetic is lost within that, isn't it? The aesthetic would always be lost in the earthly pleasures, and the ethical would always be lost in taking moral decisions. While they may exist in different spheres at different times, it doesn't mean that they are able to escape them completely at any point of time, unless they actually make the effort. Uh, yes. Uh, the thing is that I, I wouldn't say that the the leap of faith comes in the religious one it you always have to take the leap of faith at some point of your life doesn't mean that i mean you can be an atheist and you still have to believe in something right yeah i agree with that and so what i'm going to say is that it doesn't mean that you have to be in the highest sphere to take a leap of faith maybe uh, maybe the idea of the leap of faith originated in christianity but every every person today living has to take a leap of faith at some point has to believe in something 
So where comes the point of uh, I would say freedom? I mean, people believe that they are only supposed to, as you said, the aesthetic side of life is binding oneself to the societal norms. Where is freedom, and how does this idea of freedom come into existence? Is in this way? The anxiety creates it, or is it the other way around that the freedom is anxiety itself? freedom uh, anxiety according to me comes with the infinite because when you realize it every action that you take makes you a different person and when you have multiple choices you have the freedom to take one choice and go in a particular direction so this is where anxiety comes that oh my god what am i going to become wouldn't you agree with that so i think i agree with your point that the anxiety comes because of the freedom the freedom to choose the freedom to choose who you become the freedom to choose what you do of course anxiety as foreign teachers once very rightly said and this was your quote i'm sorry for feeling it anxiety is the disease of freedom but how does it come into the current situation i mean what is the relevance today while we are living in a lockdown created by a pandemic how does this anxiety help us or rather existentialism as a philosophy help us while we are locked down in our houses and afraid for what the next step has to be how the world will change after all of this yes so uh, one thing that it is very clear is that the world after this covid-19 pandemic is going to be a different one and again the thing is that we have different choices what you may do in this pandemic and what you may become or what and a, even a bigger question is that what the world may become will you be living in the same world after this pandemic ends i don't know and so hence yes people may feel anxious but there again you have a freedom of choice you have freedom of action and therefore don't let anxiety blur you out your freedom but anxiety is as i said and as certain speaker that said and you agree that anxiety comes from freedom itself so i mean there are many different ways the world could turn out how would you tell our listeners to cope with this anxiety rather than to you know it is something anxiety i believe is something that is to be dealt with even certain people that believe that despair and anxiety are just obstacles in your life which when conquered could make you an authentic self yes so is coronavirus a chance to create a better self out of ourselves rather than doing it as something that might change the world itself and not just us yes the coronavirus is obviously a chance for you to create a better world what what i actually meant when i said that anxiety originates from freedom but here is an example that from you get the freedom to choose and then there is the anxiety of what you may do but the freedom uh, when the freedom that you actually had the anxiety which you produce uh, slowly slowly blows out the freedom that you or control that you originally had so this is what i meant before and so we want to talk about uh, the david ike interview which made us really question ourselves in this time of the pandemic he made several questions that made us anxious and that made us question whether we are really free not only did 
Ah, like definitely we should talk about David Ayer, but mm. before we go forward with it, we should discuss the ideas that he put forward before we actually talk about what happened when he put them forward, because that becomes a yes. point of freedom rather than anxiety. Yes. Yes. So, so the David Ayer. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, in the David Ayer interview, that what David Ayer basically said was that this whole coronavirus virus will take away your right. a whole different world totalitarian world will be made up where uh, the uh, coronavirus vaccines are mandatory and nano and in the vaccine there will be nanobots you should track you and there are two people basically uh, elon musk and bill gates who will be behind this behind this because elon musk if you see it has has had his hands in electric cars his hands in space travel and his hands in a company named neuralink which is basic which is very a very dangerous company and on one side he is saying that ai is dangerous to humanity and on one side he is invest, he is investing in this company and bill gates is is for because he is the second biggest who investor and he uh, has also asked for permissions and i think he has got the clearance to manufacture vaccines so if it gets passed through vaccines will be necessary and only citizens who have who have, have taken the vaccine will continue to live normal lives and the actual what he predicted was a very scary thing that humanity our total existence is being controlled by a totalitarian state so speaking of elon musk before we go forward we should make this clear that we do not in any way agree with these opinions but while we do believe that skepticism is necessary they are compelling in some sense but again Elon Musk recently came out replying to a fan about a tweet that he posted on Twitter he posted that our liberty should not be taken taken away it is the first right that Americans hold as American citizens to roam, roam and practice their freedom in whatever way they choose so as long as they are not you know going against any laws of the country and he agreed with that so I don't know how this relates to Elon Musk but again talking about Bill Gates it relates to Elon Musk in ID 2020 yeah so. it relates to Elon Musk because Elon Musk has been putting up uh, while the government has been telling us that uh, this is only essential work will be allowed and only essential goods will be delivered but Elon Musk has been setting up 5G towers and Elon Musk on the other hand he says that AI is dangerous Elon Musk has been uh, is uh, has been founding a company named Neuralink which i think could be very dangerous technology involved in the human existence well, I already believe that Neuralink is just an artificial intelligence company not targeted towards the communist manufacturing at any near foreseeable time in the future it is very harmful that he would invest after having made comments such as what you just quoted and i cannot but deny the fact that well setting up of 10000 towers in the usa does not seem like the most important task right now considering that there is a pandemic going on which has already caused over a million infections and 50,000 deaths. This is yes. not to be taken lightly. 
even though they would like to have us believe if we close our eyes and listen to only him that this is a fake virus a hoax just created in order to make the world a more controllable state it does not go to say that coronavirus is a hoax after all does it yeah the other thing is that i don't believe that the coronavirus is a hoax but what i, I can vote for is that the world in which we live can be different after the coronavirus so what he what he says is it is to make a totalitarian state i think that the coronavirus may maybe it is real and i think that it is a bit real because i don't like believe in things just like that <laughs> so uh, if, so i mean this these are dangerous times and the future ahead can be a bit unpredictable and maybe the things that he's saying many of these these things i have seen them and i've connect, make connected the dots because by uh, the bill gates you have seen a program he invest in he invest in that, that is id 2020 and what he says is the totalitarian state that vaccines will be mandatory and only you will be allowed to continue your citizenship if you have taken the vaccine so sorry for interrupting uh sorry for interrupting in this sense but i would like to ask you did he actually make the statement that a virus vaccine would be mandatory if you are touring around free while i do know that he created the id 2020 page which would virtually be able to track everybody who has taken the vaccine and would take away the freedom from anybody who has not taken the vaccine does it mean that bilgates might be involved in creating the first totalitarian technocracy throughout the world rather than just in america i i mean there is certain skepticism to go along with that yeah. like it is connected it cannot be said that microsoft and bill gates are actually going to be able to take over the entire world simply because of coronavirus there are other yeah, factors as well the thing is that like, he is the second biggest investor in who and this is a thing that can't be taken lightly if you connect the things that is that who and has access over other charities and has access over vaccines manufacturing and has also access to id2020 the program which he invests in so if you connect the dots that then you can see that uh, the who can help him help him uh, give access to other countries so yeah i mean i can't be sh- oh, can't be uh, too sure about what david ek said but you must be skeptical and must question what what really is happening here and what our future may hold the important thing is not only to question right now what david ek said but rather the renewal of the videos that were posted regarding this interview that he gave to brian rose at london media tv yes while we do not agree with the idea that brian rose is a great journalist or is the truth teller to all of us david ek has had compelling ideas yes so Many people wouldn't have taken David Icke seriously if this interview wasn't banned because he has been there for a long time and he has been talking about mm-hmm. reptile shapeshifters and a secret cult and this and that. But what, whatever he said in that interview made some sense and had me questioning things. but it was banned from all the platforms and uh, it it was banned from all the platforms and, and Brian Rose was banned on LinkedIn but what 
people like Brian Rose do after they see an opportunity like this is that they want to cash on it. They want to milk it for cash. So what he, how he scammed people is that he created a fake revolution. <laughs> he said that I will, that I want the platform, digital platform for the people, by the people. And this and that. Yes. And mm-hmm. when I, when I really, I, I starting I was excited that yes, one, one more. Yeah, when we talked about this yesterday, we were actually excited about the digital revolution and in creating, quote-unquote, a digital freedom platform which would be able to give viewers an unrenewable content on his own website or rather an application that he was working on. Then the truth came out. So yeah, like to explain to the viewers. Yeah, and the truth is that he, how many, how much money do you really think it comes that that you need to upload a video free of other platforms? To be honest, if you're going live, then it may need a bit of money, and that is less than hundred thousand dollars. And to be honest, if you if you use WordPress or anything, then it can be done for free. But what he did is he raised more than. Half a million dollars. Yes, and you are listening to me. Right, people got it. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yes, more than yeah, exactly, exactly seven fifty thousand dollars, and people brought it. And when you go to his site, his digital freedom platform, and you see the code there, he still uses the third party daily motion videos, video, video, and, and so, yeah. and so. So I actually dig a, a dig a more deeper, dig a bit more deeper, and then I found the Daily Motion site, and saw if there if there are any you know paid programs, and there were not. There were two. One of one was a bit advanced, and both were free. So yeah, he just got seventy thousand uh, dollars without any expenses. So really, really, really. Hurts a bit that people are cashing on this opportunity by making people fear that this thing is false. And if, if this is an actual disaster, then people like Ryan Rose shouldn't be proud of themselves. He should be condemned if anything for having yes. done such a disastrous thing at this point of time when people require the money that is going to funding platforms. Such as this one. I mean, this is not even the real platform, is it now? Yes, no, it is not. And the thing is that anyone can do a independent platform if you use a simple if you use a simple website. Just you can and add that's a video. Been using for the longest time at this point of time. Sorry. That is what he has been using for the longest period of time. He has own LondonReal.tv website wherever. He oh. posts his videos. The first platform that they go on is his website alone. Yeah, but what he used to do is that he used to embed YouTube videos and uh, daily motion videos. He didn't. He and didn't, that is the same thing he's doing right now, isn't it? Yeah, that is the same thing he's doing right now. Nothing has changed. He just got seven thousand dollars more. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So let's continue. Understand people. Yeah. So let's continue on KK Guard and just like let's finish. What he had said. So Kierkegaard had many things to say on Christianity. He he thought that Christianity can actually make a better better humanity, but it that it, at some point of time it lost its way and it ha- actually has 
stolen individuality from from more people and it had made copies in the society so here's this quote on christianity quote christendom is pampered with the nonsense that the christian god is a decent and harmless chap a good fellow and especially a friend of female business in the beginning of children all human efforts tend towards herding together let us unite naturally this happens all sorts of high sounding names love under sorry the, naturally this happens under all sorts of high sounding names like love sympathy and enthusiasm the carrying out of some grand plan and the like which is the usual hypocrisy of the scoundrels we are but the truth is that i have heard we are free from the standards of the individual so millions of men live and die they just numbers and their numericals becomes their horizon that is to say they just copies and christianity which in the divine love wants everyone to be to be an individual has been transformed by human bungling into precisely the opposite end quote so i guess what we know what he is trying to say is that in religion or christianity what they really wanted was to make a better human a better individual but in to make religion more approachable and more easier with our human touch it has made people into a herd a herd mentality and this is not just with christianity i think this is with all organized religions wouldn't you agree yeah christianity or any other religion or even i would go as far as to say communities as well as societal norms are just creating a way of leading people into mass mentality herd mentality Yes. So one thing that it is hard for me to understand is, I mean, at this point of time, I know maybe at that uh, time he didn't know that there was this wasn't the norm. But community and society or organized religion has always always steals the individuality. That is the goal because if society and community or organized religion is the rigid, whereas the human mind is not. So wouldn't so I I'm not shocked. that he reached to this conclusion because i have i have always seen with this way so wouldn't you agree agree with what exactly are you trying to say i'm i'm, a, I'm saying that uh, that that you shouldn't be shocked that society or community or religion or school or anything makes people convert people into numericals and herd and steals their individuality and makes them copies Yeah, I have to agree, but I wouldn't agree with the fact that it is a shock because many people, while they live and die for their religions and their beliefs, they don't fully comprehend the fact that they have been made and molded into this. So when it comes to me as a person, view, I would say that it is not a shock, but to the mass, to the herd mentality, it would definitely be a shock to understand or finally come to terms with this. reality so don't you totally totally agreed so this was just one last thing left with uh, soren kerkegaard and what really led to his i think going to me two things led to his uh, literary productivity the first thing was obviously is that telling him that he won't live much and the second thing was his engagement day breaking up with regine uh, he was engaged he got engaged to regine in 1840 And now less than a year, he returned her ring, saying he couldn't make a girl happy. 
so the this what is clear to me is that this relationship haunted him for the rest of his life and this crisis triggered a period of literacy literary productivity i think that perhaps he found himself to be stuck in the finite doing what pleases everyone doing what is comfortable doing what his father told him to do and things like that and maybe he just wanted to do something which which was out of the box i mean not and it did help him later on he took a leap of faith with the decision and i am not saying that people shouldn't marry or people shouldn't have kids but it should be done because because you can't you can't think of a moment without spending you can't think of a moment without the other person and not because the society tells you to be that you should be married at 30 years old at when you're 30 years old so this is it with kk god so speaking of again when you finish with Kierkegaard I think there is something that needs to be addressed over here the idea of freedom and what freedom entails I mean whenever we speak of this thing we speak of existentialism the first point that any philosopher and including Kierkegaard had to make was that we are free and we don't recognize that we are that we are free to be not a numerical not be a herd not be a part of the herd that grows within the norms of society as well as religion freedom is the thing that leads you to make the leap of faith recognizing that you are free is what really puts you in a position to you know realize some and take the leap of faith finally to whatever you have agreeable views about yeah so I think that uh, what you're talking about is freedom you, you have the choice to not be free but the thing is that it is easier to not to give away your freedom and I think that we, we, we should talk about it in more details when we reach Simone de Beauvoir because the content that she has and how people or how humanity sometimes systematically sometimes without any systems give away their freedom and why there is also comfort within that before we talk about Simone de Beauvoir there are two other existential philosophers yeah. that no, we were saying that i will answer this question like we will cover this question when you talk about Simone de Beauvoir because there in her works she has talked in detail a lot about um, how freedom is given away and in what kind of different type of systems and different type of people how they give away their freedoms so i think that but we should address this all right but before we move forward do you think that a revolution is actually happening right now in the world with so many americans coming out on the streets to protest against being taken away having their freedom taken away taken away having their liberty taken away having lost uh, the ability to run freely do you think that there is actually a revolution coming up or is there just a rebellion let's, re- let's rewind a bit a century century ago mm-hmm. when the spanish flu or influenza hit people were people were you know people were quarantined then and i don't think there was any revolution then i mean if this virus if this pandemic is is real and it's absolutely dangerous 
then i i don't think there is any need to rebel because yes you have the right to liberty you have the right to be free but but you should be uh, you should do what is right in the situation and i think what people should be scared about is one thing that is not that you not able to get out of your houses the thing is that when when the pandemic at the scale pandemic at the scale is it hits the world and the thing that many countries get emergency powers wouldn't you agree um, i think that the point you're trying to make over here is that rebelling over a real behavior is something that is i would say very dumbly it is a dumb decision <laughs> the point i'm trying to make is that there is nothing to rebel now but it may mm. be later because the emergency powers that people are wielding right now they wouldn't want mm-hmm. to give it up later now wouldn't you agree upon that if it does happen so that we are denied our freedom once the pandemic is over i agree that we should rebel but what does it entail to be a rebel would you like to talk about that more yes so i will talk about the rebel and which was written by albert camus so when we when i talk about albert camus i it will mostly be related to the his book the rebel because of the current situations that we are going through okay so let's start according to camus a rebel is a slave who has taken orders all his life suddenly decides that he cannot obey some new command this new command obviously infringes his rights of freedom and thus to just the rebel must he the, the man must rebel so when the davidic interview was removed normal normal people were angry and hence they became rebels because it is their right to free speech now i mean you can only go to a go to a one extent you can either, you can keep people in their homes but you can't ban people from talking out so people stormed at bill gates instagram pages and they commented that we will not tolerate this a few days ago bill gates could fool them but now he could fool them that he is a philanthropist and but let's talk about bill gates what qualification what qualification does he does what qualifications does he really have to be to be pushing medical medical policy i don't think he has any medical qualifications as such but he does have certain shareholdings in various pharma companies i would say many other corporations he is after all a capitalist so the only thing is the system that is failing us and i'm sorry to blame capitalism right now but i will blame capitalism because to wield such power right now is because he is a money maker and so yeah people are pretty clear that they won't take it that vaccines shouldn't be manufactured by that guy and they, it shouldn't be uh, mandatory so better to die quote better to die on one's feet than to live on one's knees end quote john john paul sartre mm-hmm. okay so one of the things that he talks about in his book is envy and resentment many people Who now when we talking about i think you should give the listeners a main before we start off sorry this is about albert camus isn't it yes yes the quote was about john paul sartre but this is about albert camus mm-hmm. okay so envy and resentment so a few seconds ago i mentioned the rich the capitalist system 
many people will say that i am i envy the rich and many people will always say that the we we envy the rich like bill gates and many others because we ourselves are not rich and if we could yield that wealth we would have so so many people try to deviate the topic from the rebellion to that yeah this is all because that you envy them but that is not the case we are just defending the right to free speech and and choice it is our choice whether we want the vaccine or not and you can't coerce us into it rebellion is the act of an educated person who is aware of their own rights not someone who is envious or lives in resentment because if you do rebellion because you are envious then that is not true rebellion so yeah that is in my defense i, I think i was actually defending what i said about bill gates and the rich getting into politics so would you like to ask something before i ask anything i would like to quote walter over here I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will die for your right to. I will defend your right to say it to death. Yeah, absolutely. And in the Davidic interview, there were many things that I didn't fully, fully believed in. I fully, I am, I'm not fully buying it. But yeah, he didn't deserve his interview to be, to be banned. Censored the way he did. Yeah, because he didn't violated any of his community guidelines. He was pretty. He said everything in a good way. And when people, and when Brian Rose asked him that what should we do, David? He didn't say anything with that, but that was like we should be violent or anything. He said that we should do things in peace. So I don't get it why he was banned, and it's obviously um, our rights are being infringed. Okay, so yeah. sorry. Yeah, I do agree with that. So talking more about Albert Camus, what would you like to say? In relation or in relevance to today's world, we do our target coming and the rebel have to tell us. In what relation? In relevance to today's situation, to the pandemic situation, and to the fact that our rights are being infringed in such a censored manner that we cannot even speak up openly on social media platforms, which. I don't believe any of the philosophers of those times would have imagined to exist a century ago. Uh, all I think that although Albert Camus was not uh, an existentialist, but if you go by the existentialist book, then yeah, the, our rights are being infringed, and we need to be free ourselves, and we need to make others free. And I think that if it keeps going this way, then there will be a rebellion, a rebellion so for our freedom. Sorry. All of this is very absurd, isn't it? We are locked down in our houses against, united against an enemy that we cannot even see through our own eyes. Yeah, I, it's not about being locked down in our houses. Houses, I'm completely okay with that. If I mean, if the virus is, if the virus is obviously a real threat, then. But the thing is that the content I have had many people complaining to me that my content is not being promoted because. Uh, and and i saw the guy's post it was just a quote by seneca so why is it not being promoted and why is social media are why are social media platforms limiting the reach of individuals who are actually talking something which is worth worth something so this is a game in absurdity in our world this is what i'm trying to get to albert camus was an absurd he viewed the world entirely 
the existence in its entirety as an absurd thing, if anything less than that, you would not be able to find meaning in it. This philosophical question, the only philosophical question according to him that held in value was that should we commit suicide or live, go on to live? Yeah. So according to him is that if we find something that we value or if we find something of value in this life, then our existence has meaning and then we can live with the absurd. But if we don't find anything that we, are, that we value or that has value, then maybe even if we are at fault, then I don't think that according to him, life was worth it. But this is a very narrow way to it, wouldn't you say? I mean, to find value in life is to create value in life, don't you think? Yeah, and I, I already agreed that it depends on you. But, you know, circumstances are always not in your favor. And this is a very, uh, very difficult topic to talk about. You know, because yeah. many people who are listening, it may also suffer from something. And... Uh, I, I, I will just say one encouraging fact, and that is, Albert Camus obviously found something, he was absurd, but he found something which he valued, and that was his philosophy, his work, his life, and, and I think if we really try, if we really go take the leap of faith, according to Kierkegaard, then we can find something which we value, and we can live our life in peace with the absurd. It is worth mentioning, I believe, that... Albert Camus died in a car crash at the age of 43 when he was still writing what he believed to be his best work yet. Sorry? Was I not audible at all? Um, no. He died in a car crash? At the age of 43 while he was still writing his belief, what he believed to be his best work yet. And what was that book? It has never been released because he wasn't able to finish it at the point of time. Maybe he believed it, but who, we don't know if, if, if his readers will believe it to be the best work. Maybe they, they, his readers all already found the best work. And Since it doesn't exist, we cannot actually qualify it as being the best whether work. It was sad because we haven't read it. And yeah, there are many philosophers actually who have left incomplete works. But that's life. We exist at some times and that is why we say that we shouldn't do anything which we may regret and we should leave no regrets behind. So I, to all our listeners, I would say that if you're interested in something, just take the leap of faith and see where it goes. I would like to quote Kierkegaard before you forward and I would give an absurd thing to say right now. Right after what you said anyhow, he believed do it or don't do it, you will regret it. Yeah, I, I believe <laughs> in that. So, according to his engagement, he, he regretted it breaking up and it haunted, the decision haunted him. But what if in, in another universe or maybe if in this reality, he, he actually married Regine and then he regretted not writing enough, not getting the time, raising kids. And he, was, he wouldn't obviously not be the same Kierkegaard. He would have regretted marrying her and he, would, he regretted not marrying her too. So I think this one comes from his personal experience. I think this applies to all our experiences as well, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm talking about his, his particular experience by mm-hmm. breaking up the engagement. So wouldn't you agree that this quote comes up comes up because of his personal experience? 
Of course, everything that we do is subjective experience and everything that comes out of us through our actions is again a subjective thought, a subjective reality. Yes. So, okay, so let's start. Let's continue, sorry. And the uh, thing is good and evil and rebellion. So, earlier we were talking about Brian Rose's uh, digital platform. He, he uh, sold it as some kind of rebellion against the mainstream media. or the control narrative of the social media but he's actually uh, scamming people into just sending their money and he's milking cash and so so here's the thing the good about good and evil in rebellion we are giving the context of brand rose but we will talk about it in it in detail so in order to combat evil the rebel renounces good and once again gives birth to evil so here's the thing about this quote and that is that when people think that doing the good thing or if you're doing if you're doing good the good is weak in front of the bad or in front of the wicked so to beat people who are doing the bad things the rebel renounces the renounces good in his life and again gives birth to evil so take an example of i've already given the example of uh, brian rose's digital revolution i think that if people do it like that then it will be a bad thing and another example from history would be french revolution and many other revolution actually on it started on ideas of liberty equality but soon it, degen- it degenerated into something bloody so the i think i think we can compare here the uh, digital revolution that brian rose started also something like too <laughs> too democratic for the people by the people from the people in something like that but it, but but when we discovered when we dig in deeper it was a total hoax mm. i think comparing it to democracy is false view or at least not the best of ways to compare these two things because democracy the idea of democracy is supposedly that people choose to will govern them who will represent them and it will be for them that the government is made and it is made of the people of the same country itself i mean after all democracy cannot be brought down to the same standard as brian rose brought down is the platform to can we say that although it does have its own i think it has some similarity of course but because he did use a similar code which level. is used in uh, democratic democracy for the people by the people from the people so i mean he did try to, the people by the people from he the did people try to scam people that i will free you i will be your voice like many like many politicians scam people so yeah i think that i will take up my stand that i think that it is a bit similar on the values of freedom i believe i will take the opposite stand over here because by democracy is not perfect in any manner i'm not trying to say that it is but even so he's forcing people by bringing up freedom as though it is being taken away from them and not from him it is actually he who is earning through the people watching every interview that he releases not us even if we are getting information and knowledge through the interviews is nevertheless scamming people who ask me believe yes. in it yes so here's the thing that democracy uh, scam i would not say that it is a scam everybody does have a right to vote even though there are discrepancies 
throughout the world in the most existing democratic countries too even in india itself there are there have been many many cases of discrepancies which have led to recounting of votes and many booth capturing incidents are common in india as well but democracy at its soul the thing is that uh, there are on the social media and on blogs there are many pe- there are many media platforms that, that, that are not mainstream and that become their your your voice and similar to many politicians that are good and that become your voice so what i was trying to say that many politicians and many people like brian rose will try to scam you and it's and i'm not like i'm not pointing out the system i'm just pointing out people in the system and people in the media yeah people in the system and people in the media are bought by each other again so it doesn't mean that i don't think you should compare democracy itself as a system to brian rose and his digital freedom platform is what i'm trying to say i think i will compare <laughs> anyways but okay i think i will will have something to say about this let's see what their opinion would be moving forward i am saying about... i was saying actually that he uh, he promised people to be their voice he promised people to be their voice he promised people a bit of freedom uncensored so uh, it can't be directly com- compared but the values are a bit are a bit similar that is the only thing that values democracy did not given those values while they do have existence found in democracy as a system it does not mean that he did not steal them from democracy rather than him himself where the, them where does this come from then from the people uh, by the people for the people yeah these values of the people by the people for the people that is what you are trying to say first of all and yes, second of all it is my point democracy doesn't compare he wrote this in his caption so yeah he wrote it that does not mean that democracy did not exist before his caption did or his digital quote unquote revolution did he stole yeah, it he straight up stole it from the idea of democracy it does not mean that you can compare it to democracy can you i'm not comparing it i'm just saying he promised that he stole it i'm some saying the same thing i'm not comparing this whole system the whole giant system to this one tiny incident okay. anyways let's move forward uh, mm-hmm. so the only thing that i was saying is that this whole his fake revolution started like something which promised values freedom to people and it which degenerated into in, into a scam do you so, believe that while we were talking about the rebel and albert kamu i think you mentioned mentioned a point that is relevant to brian rose and social media platforms themselves Do you believe that Brian Rose is trying to, by taking donations from the people, trying to create his own platform because he himself is envious and resents the social media platforms and the tycoons who are controlling them? Do you think that that is where his idea of revolution came from rather than from actually telling the truth to people? Uh, I I didn't get your question. Can you be, be a bit, can you rephrase it a bit? Okay, so you talked about how envy and resentment can lead to a false revolution, and this is, after all, a false revolution, wouldn't you say? Yes. So, do you think that it actually stems the idea of revolution that he created for everybody who has donated to the platform? He created it because of his resentment of 
സോഷ്യൽ മീഡിയ ടൈക്കോൺസ് ലൈക്ക് മാർക്കോർഗ് ആൻഡ് മോട്ടിവേഷൻസ് Yeah, but then again, he always has been heard and he has talked about social media behemoths as he calls them all the time. I mean, it is another dot to connect. I think that the viewers should think about it, even if they don't agree with it. But the idea might have come from envy and this is very relevant to the fake revolution created by him. As Albert Camus said, any, any revolution that comes out of envy or jealousy or resentment is not a real revolution. Yes. ും evil. So humans have always been at battle on what is good and evil and what to do but we are still far from a conclusion and there will be none there is no one no one answer that can be dictated to everyone and they will follow it and i believe that it's because everyone has had a different life a different journey and had has different morals and different principles so according to camus in the rebel men are lazy and rather than cowardly and that they prefer peace and death to the liberty of discerning between good and evil so what is really saying is that we would prefer comfort laziness than to go through the difficult difficulty between discerning what is good and what is evil so wouldn't you agree to that yeah of course people would always take the easiest path to live in their lives and that is what he's trying to say i believe yes but on a positive note uh, bill gates he uh, he made people a fool of people for a lot of for a lot of time maybe a they care out something and but now people are waking up people are seeing connecting the dots that what bill gates actually is and so i think that we have something to be positive over and something to be negative over because if one thing people are waking up and the other thing is that people like brian rose exist that try to take advantage of of people's fear that they're not totally that they don't that they know to not totally aware of everything that is happening around them 
and they take advantages of events like covid-19 yeah i think brian rose i would say in my eyes anyway he's the best kind of person to exist right now even if bill gates was not as he is i think brian rose is worth it yes i i won't compare between the two between them but yeah we the only thing that i would like to say is that we have something to be positive over and something to be uh, negative sad over yes so the rebel wants to find something that they value and the rebel puts values before himself or herself the rebel wants to find out if there are any values in the world and i think that we've talked about it the, when you said that the only question worth asking in philosophy is suicide so that is the same thing that camino here is talking about that if you if you can find anything that that is of value in this world then you can live your life peacefully within the absurd and if you if you don't find anything in value and you just see the absurd you just see the pit then maybe suicide is the option okay so there's another yeah, thing that, that is a bit too dark for our listeners yeah. considering that many people are going through various yeah, this mental traumas in everyday life this course is a bit dark but the optimistic point of view here would be and i am saying this because it is a big deal coming from me because i am a pessimist <laughs> and the optimistic thing coming will be here will be that there are obviously values there is obviously meaning in your life that you but the thing is that you give them give the value to your to your life and you will give the meaning to your life on your own so okay so quote in order to exist man must rebel in quote so what is the difference between robots and a human robots will most of the times do as we say but humans with their consciousness the feelings the ideas and their ideas are not rigid will not agree to everything that the world will give to them and thus to live is to give something new to this world but this world is rigid it, it already has some things that it agrees to so this world's only hope is that the people change some things people move things around and people rebel so according to camus Uh, in order to exist man must struggle and i fully agree with this but what must we do well again i mean that depends no, on your that, that depends has on your rebellion sorry uh, uh, may i speak first and then you can give a diametric answer to my question i i i thought that you have completed what what you said you can uh, go okay All right. So, what I was trying to ask you, I have completely lost the point. We were talking about. You were saying what? <laughs> uh, what must someone rebel against? Yeah. So, in this point of view, that one must rebel against something in order to exist. Man is man when he rebels. I think there is an idea of fighting against something external or something internal that comes in here. So it can be. a rebellion against the exterior world the outside event or it can also be a time a rebellion against ourselves at point of time and it can also be yeah it can also be metaphysical rebellion which camu talks about in detail in his book but um uh, we like to define metaphysical rebellion for our viewers even if we don't really believe that it is a topic worth mentioning metaphysical rebellion according to camu is to fight against the nature of your existence that is at the best way at which i can define it so to be honest when i read this uh, i i thought that i would just continue with what he defines the actual rebellion and not the 
metaphysical rebellion because it doesn't add up to our to be honest it doesn't add up to our what we are trying to convey and so and and in my personal beliefs i think that because in this in this aspect i am a bit of a stoic stoic and i believe that we should live in harmony with nature and there will be no confusion and there will be no point in rebelling against the nature of our existence but i believe in some sense that it does create a sense of possibility that there is something in our nature itself that is self destructive that is against the good within us there is an evil there is a shadow that many philosophers have described i mean it is not say, not to say that a metaphysical rebellion is necessary but it might be something worth considering if you feel that you have something within you that is against who you want to be something is within you that is stopping you from who you are trying to solve it can help you explore in a different in a way yeah of who you are why you exist and it can also lead you to philosophy that's my <laughs> uh, that's my idea philosophy itself is I mean, question, I mean, you question, you question the nature of existence, and that is why you philosophize. And this may be just connected to this, but I think that it has a bit of connection with philosophy. Anyway, so now that I've talked about Albert Camus and I've finished what I wanted to say, uh, would you like to talk about uh, his relationship with Sartre? So, speaking of Sartre, Sartre was an existential philosopher who gained. Fame when he came out with his lecture, humanism is existentialism, or rather the other way around, existentialism is humanism. And later on, in the year 1946, wrote the book *Being and Nothingness*. Speaking of Sartre and Camus, it is it has been a difficult time for them. First, they were best friends, but then Sartre joined Stalin rebellion, and he joined the Stalin party after he failed to create his own communist party. Very horribly. And once he did join it, I was going to condemn him. Obviously, for obvious reasons, he did not like the idea of the atrocities that Stalin committed, the famine that he caused later on, and the whole idea that his best friend could be involved in such a treacherous form of government, a treacherous. I think it was a revolution in the eyes of Sartre, but in the eyes of Camus, it was false revolution again. Yeah, because and not every. He did not agree with it. Yeah, not every revolution is good, and this leads us to the Russian Revolution, and the Russian Revolution maybe started with some things, and it it ended up with communist Russia, and it created famines, and it created Chernobyl. So obviously, uh, in this, uh, what you call fight? Not only did it create Chernobyl, it killed millions of people. Yeah. Million, six million to be exact. The Ukrainians were. Killed because of what Stalin did during his tenure as dictator uh, of Russia. Uh, when I when I say that it created Chernobyl, it's because they uh, because of the poor economy, they couldn't they couldn't. I mean, they, this may be a bit controversial, but they couldn't accommodate all the all the possible safety measures. I think it wasn't just the. It wasn't just the but. I mean, you were. It wasn't just the economic perspective that created Chernobyl. It was a deep, second 
disaster that came out yeah. of the lives that were spread by the communist party yes. during that time year and speaking of sarth let's talk a bit more about him shall we yeah sure so sarth as you earlier defined he defined existentialism as a humanism in that he agreed that existentialism and humanism are the same thing because why he defined existentialism as something which creates value for everyone out of them their own selves i mean existentialism in its essence means that every man is responsible for themselves his idea was that the outlook that human beings i quote the outlook that human beings have the power to make freely their choices to create their own values and determine who they will become there is no reliance upon a supreme deity or human nature to give us our value we should instead derive human value as self created through the continuous undertaking of projects in the world existentialism defines man by his action according to him and whenever existentialism comes in there is a certain anguish that comes in with it with the realization of one's immense responsibility towards themselves and towards entirety of humanity and i quote Thus, the first effect of existentialism is that it puts every man in possession of himself as he is, and places the entire responsibility for his for his existence upon his own shoulders. And when we say that man is responsible for himself, we do not mean that he is responsible for his individuality alone, but that he is responsible for all men. What he is trying to say, I believe, through this particular quotation, is that. Every human being is not only responsible for their own freedom, for their own choices, but rather that every choice is interconnected, and every choice that we make leads to something entirely different for another human being as well. For example, if we choose to, let's say, buy a certain mobile phone, it leads to a rise in the share price of the certain company, and in connection with that a certain employee gets a salary on time a certain employee doesn't get their salary on time if continue decide to buy cut a certain brand of mobile phone so in that sense everything is interconnected according to him and not only are we responsible for our own actions but our actions also lead in some indirect way at least in creation of subjectivity for other human beings as well we are responsible for them as well when we choose to do something or not to do something yes but according to uh, simone de beauvoir i think she had opposite ideas and she thought that uh, no no i don't think that she had opposite ideas but she no. derived from the, the ideas of nothing that she, that she had was that you said she had the same all ideas she valued freedom too but what she yeah. the idea that she had was which we will talk about talk about later that man is responsible for their own freedom and for for their own denial of believe, sorry yeah but she also believed that man is not only responsible for his own freedom alone but she also very deeply believed that everybody who is free is also responsible for for the freedom of others And oh. this idea that came into ethics of ambiguity came from, or was rather founded upon, being a nothingness itself. She has mentioned it herself in the book, and we cannot deny that Sartre wanted to build his own ethics, but Simone de Beauvoir pursued this before he had the chance to, I believe, because he was too lost within the confounds 
well excellent they obviously should have the freedom to choose what they like feasible or may i say that possible in today's world uh, and well if you ask me uh, uh, from a subjective point of view i would say that it is not entirely possible to encapsulate the idea that somebody we love can also at the same time be a sexual partner or in fact be in love with someone else of course not that would be again an absurdity for yeah. us Yeah, what I think is that they did this because they were too attached with their philosophy. I mean, it's good to be to embody your philosophy, but they were attached to their philosophy, and they were actually icons of their time, and they had yeah. to like give a message about it, and maybe they believed in it too. They definitely did believe in it. In many of her letters, someone did write. Someone did write that it's Tatra is a book that has been published, I believe, and in the letters she talked. vicariously about how her romance is maintained with other people many of whom were common friends between Sartre as well as Simone de Beauvoir oh, so damn. I don't think yeah that is mind blowing in fact but again speaking fact. of it in a yeah, okay. yeah it is really so, so speaking of this in a point of view that would be more feasible for our audiences I think Yes. So, speaking of the relationship going forward. I want uh, to make a make one remark, last remark. The whole yeah. thing idea that comes into my mind uh, because, because of the relationship was like <laughs> this is just a joke. I just wanted to make a joke and that is mm-hmm. existentialist much. Would really be it was totally yeah. totally an existentialist relationship. I think they did embody their philosophy, but not everybody would be open to the idea of having a polyamorous or a polygamy relationship. I mean, the idea of love in our mind has transformed into one of possession in some sense, or rather, it came out of it. It is not just now that it has turned into, oh, I possess my partner, or rather that I love my partner on the condition that he or she does not go around sleeping with other people, or फ्रीडम I'll be telling you. I think this is very important before we move forward with Simone de Beauvoir. Hey, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I'm just waiting for you to say. Yeah, I asked you to mention the idea of best of freedom as mentioned by Albert Camus before we move forward. The best of freedom. The test of freedom. The test of freedom, according to yeah. Camus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look. Uh, According to Camus, the test 
to it was just to test the freedom is to like test waters and to the only way or the only way to be free in a unfree society is to be so incredibly free that your that your mere existence is an act of rebellion that was camus quote and so to deal with a, to, to rebel with such a society if you, if you don't do it completely if you don't do it completely then it's not really then you're not also then you're not also part of the society but if you really want to be free then your mere act of existence should be a rebellion according to camus so talking of rebellion design the fact that rebellion occur in a certain situation wherein there is a oppressor and there is an oppressed class of people and i don't agree with the idea of antagonizing either of the one classes but it does so happen that there are certain classes that are oppressed against and certain classes who are the oppressors so speaking of this idea moving forward i think simon de beauvoir had something very deeply yes concerning to say and i quote their life is a pure repetition she is speaking of oppressed people over here so again i begin their life is a pure repetition of mechanical gestures their leisure is just about sufficient enough for them to regain their strength the oppressor feeds himself on their transcendence and refuses to extend it by free recognition the oppressor has only one solution to deny the harmony of that mankind from which an attempt is made to exclude him to prove that he is a man and that he is free by revolting against the tyrants in order to prevent this revolt one of the rules of oppression is to camouflage itself behind natural situation since after all one cannot revolt against nature so having said this particular quote i think it is very relevant to today's situation as well because if and i say if with a very expressive tone because if this coronavirus is in fact a hoax which i do not completely agree with that the idea is enticing if it is a hoax it might be just another ruse by the oppressors and i say oppressors again in a term that is not completely valid in the marxist terms i am not speaking in the terms that there is a bourgeois class and there is a proletariat class no i am speaking in the terms that there is a working class of people who is exploited by those on top of the pyramid because there is a certain hierarchy that exists in our world and if coronavirus after all is something that is a ruse so the idea comes in that we cannot revolt against nature and if this this is actually something that is being portrayed by the media so as to scare the people scare the people we cannot actually you know go out and be like hey we have to revolt against this because yeah, it is a natural yeah. phenomenon and so, I, I, i think it's an excellent idea to to show, to well, i mean to to reason yeah, the people who are rebelling right now because yeah. what i would say is that you test the waters i mean let this coronavirus thing go over and then if your rights are being infringed and then if you see a clear clear got oppressor then act yeah then you right now there is no not right now yeah right now there is no point in rebelling i i am in complete support of rebelling maybe i will rebel myself if i see a clear cut oppressor but right now there is no clear cut there is no clear cut thing our whole future is based on an if right now that is why anxiety but then again this idea is very I think at least stimulating in the sense that if this is a rule, if this is 
something that has been created as a rules for us to be distracted by and to be completely overtaken by and to think that we cannot rebel against it again i'm not in support of a rebellion but it is a horrifying thought it is it is a horrifying thought to think that this might be ruled by the oppressor yeah but yeah. but the rebel a rebellion can't be based on ifs and buts it is based on actual yeah, reality exactly i'm not saying that it should be rebel against right now i completely agree with you right now but if there comes out to be a pressure who is feeding on your transcendence and is denying you the freedom to be a part of the mankind which he or she is excluding you from then there will be a clear cut reason to rebel after this thing is turned over yes so speaking more of some other words first of all i believe there needs to be the mention of the idea of how she perceives freedom so in her eyes the idea of existentialism being a humanism was something that she based her entire ethics upon when she talks about freedom she thinks that every man is responsible for their own actions but she believes that there are many ways through which men deny their own freedom or are disingenuous to their own existence yeah. and by being disingenuous i mean to say that they do not fully either comprehend their idea of freedom or they are in total denial of it in some cases they might don't refuse to exist yeah exist at all so uh, the only solution to that is to test test i mean push the limits do something which is not being done in your society or maybe in churches or anything if you are in a I community i think to say what you are saying right now is to oversimplify her ideas so maybe i should go forward and tell her ideas yeah, and sure, then sure. we can make a larger discussion on it Yeah. So, her she had five categories under which she thought that humans would be disingenuous towards their own existence. Three of them are not as common. No, actually, three of them are the most common ones. The subman. Let's talk about the subman. The subman is the man or a woman, of course, who goes on to believe that they are unfree. They are living in a world that is controlled and. they have no choice whatsoever other than to be controlled by somebody else outside of their own subjectivity they are the ones who are used by those of us who want to commit atrocities they are the most easily lured people the people who would go on to commit crimes in name in the name of somebody else entirely whom they may not even particularly be acquainted with Okay, so what? I, I think uh, I have to question you here. And yeah, yeah. The thing on, is please. that uh, what, what, what do you think? What state of existence do these people exist in? I, mean, I think the subman himself exists in a aesthetic sphere, but even to that, he is not completely true. I mean, comparing this to Kierkegaard's idea, I think would not be entirely feasible because he has a different idea of freedom and Kierkegaard. Why is the idea of freedom that seems valid as well? His I idea was think, not. I think that you are a bit wrong here, but okay. I, I mean, please go on. Please give me an argument. There are, what there are three. Uh, there are three spheres of existence, and what I'm yeah, asking yeah. to you that she define. He defined the spheres of existence, and she defines the the subman, someone who is used as a tool, someone who is yeah, aware of their of their uh, freedom, someone who c- commits atrocities. 
and so what i'm asking so, you is that uh-huh. what level of what level of sphere do you think that the subman exists in see i told you that when we talked about this that when we are talking of spheres of existence i don't think that he is exactly referring to how free they are but rather to the choices they make using their freedom while the subman doesn't even know that he is free at all i mean aesthetic as you said is chasing over three pleasures pleasures of any different kinds and when we are talking about ethical they are trying to maintain their life under the certain sphere of being a moral or a moral person right so they are aware on a certain level at least that they are somewhat free to choose but a subman is not at all aware that he is free so comparing to yeah i think that um would not do justice to either of them yeah so i wanted to ask you another question actually and uh, this one is a bit more sim- simpler and it's not mm-hmm. that complicated the thing is that fred uh, nietzsche came up with this mm-hmm. similar idea and that was the overman or ubermensch which is something that is the complete exact opposite of this one this one is in like in a negative sense of way and the ubermensch was in a positive way so would you like to talk, would, you, would you agree that they, they are the complete opposites i think when he when we talk about ubermensch no first before we talk about ubermensch we better define for our audience is what ubermensch actually refers to ubermensch means according to nietzsche a man who has evolved from being a human being to a superhuman uh, he also called it as overman in german terms ubermensch so when he spoke of ubermensch he believed in a certain evolution of man the evolution first started off from being a child to then being a camel and then after all of these evolutions to becoming a lion and when he talked about ubermensch he believed that it would be because again i have to quote this if you are going to talk about ubermensch and please bear with me even though it's a overstated quote god is dead and we have killed him and when he said that god is dead and we have killed him he did not mean that the god created by man or the god who created man is dead because we actually murdered him in a defying sense rather that we need something other than god something beyond what humans have been able to comprehend so far that we need yeah. to move forward that we need to move upward and we need to recognize that we are completely and wholly free to make our own choices that we are free to delve into our own mind and become authentic selves again so one question i have in my mind and that is that uh, according to existentialists the mm-hmm. best way to live is to be free and free others so do you think that according to the existence existentialist the overman is someone who is free himself or all himself and is and also frees others yeah i think the idea behind overmans was that he what he referred to as overmans was in basco zarathustra so zarathustra the character in the church was trying to well he was a hermit he lived in a cave for about 12 years and then he came out of the cave and he made friends who became his disciples and he wanted to free them in the sense that he wanted to help them into recognizing themselves and the world in a clearer picture so of course when ever we talk about Nietzsche and Dasko's Zarathustra the idea is clear that he wanted 
free other people through his work as well as through the idea of movement i think that we have found ourselves a beautiful connection here yeah we have yeah. indeed so okay let's let's continue so continuing and talking about the serious man the next level of this ingenuity while the serious man can be systematically denying his own freedom by reasserting and adhering to pre-established societal norms values and he would not even consider before going on to adhere to new values because he does not have an idea of self he does not have an idea of being a free person being a free subjectivity existing in this world so whatever he finds to be most agreeable to him he will conform with him that is what the idea of a serious man is and when we think in comparison to the sub man the serious, serious man is not really any better is he because while the sub man is easily manipulated the serious man is manipulating himself into agreeing with others so serious man is manipulating himself he is yeah, exactly. thinking that he is free but he is bringing explanations to why he is free he is bringing explanations on the table to how he is free rather than yeah. why he doesn't even think of a meaning he only assigns meaning to certain values that are pre-established or outside of himself rather than finding his own wouldn't you agree that this is like every person who believes yeah, in this right serious man according to Simon de Beauvoir According to Simone de Beauvoir as well, this was the most common type of yeah. man that exists. Yes. Man or woman, I would say, because in the sense that people might think that they are feminists, but guys, we are really, really, really inclined towards feminism over here. Okay. So, speaking of the next kind of man, we have the nihilist. The nihilist recognizes that there is no inherent meaning of the world itself. And to say that, that... there is no meaning assigned to our lives that there is no meaning of universe and we exist in a vast void of nothingness now Simon de Beauvoir again thought that this is a false way to live our lives because he thought at least he believed I would say that freedom is an idea of ourselves and again the idea comes in that we are free and hence we are free to create ourselves rather than to have in a sense pre-existing before we created. So, I think this again is another disingenuous attitude which is common among people who find themselves in the category of intellectuals, philosophers, capitalists, anything. They could be anybody but they are not as common again. Yeah, I've actually dealt with this idea of being a nihilist and the thing is that uh, scientifically you can't deny it that being a, like, you can't deny the nihilist that your existence is meaningless. Like the same existence may be repeated somewhere else. and but the only uh, the only argument that philosophical argument that i have against the nihilist is that if you don't want your life to be meaningful then only you will be a nihilist according to me yeah according to simon de beauvoir being a nihilist again it itself it is yeah. out of our own freedom that we choose to be nihilistic that we choose to assign meaning to our life that we choose to be free but we don't still don't recognize that we are free to make create our own meaning through Well, various projects and talking about projects, we come to the adventurer. The adventurer is the kind of man who would create projects for the sole reason of creating a project for pure love. It is not a pure venture in which he creates projects and rather he falls into servitude of the subject or the project as I said earlier. He alienates his own freedom and he or she alienates his own freedom regards mankind as instrument means to end and he employs himself as false freedom this is to say that 
he thinks that the ultimate value according to Simone de Beauvoir is in the object or project that they undertake as an existence of freedom. I mean, this is to say that freedom only exists for creation of projects for the fun of it rather than for assigning meaning to our own lives and to others' lives through our projects. And she believes that Mitra was an adventurer or at least so I heard she did not write so like she did not write diversely about Mitra herself but this is the category she would believe Mitra to fall in although I don't agree with her necessarily because Mitra wanted others to be free as well. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that too. So, wouldn't you say that uh, at some point uh, mm-hmm. the idea of the sub-man came from the overman or the woman? I don't think that it came from the overman, but I think it may have been influenced from Dasbuk Zarathustra all the time because there were many characters who put down Zarathustra for being a hermit for not being able yeah. to, you know, give clear cut lessons on how to be this government rather than he yeah. believed the subject yeah. that he was preaching rather than practicing what he was saying. Uh, I believe that this idea may have been at some point influenced by Daspur Zarathustra. Yeah, Daspur Zarathustra definitely. Yes. Definitely okay, anyway, but, yeah, moving forward, there is the last continuous attitude towards existence, the passionate man. I think before I start, we should mention that the passionate man is very likely to go on to become a dictator and Adolf Hitler might have fallen into, into this category. So, speaking of the passionate man, to the passionate man, object is absolute. I mean to say that he is disclosed only through an object, his subjectivity is only disclosed through his object. Freedom doesn't exist outside of his or her own subjectivity. Only the object of passion exists. He is really, really in love with this object, I would say, according to Simon And in this, it can easily become a tyranny, and tyranny can easily turn into fanaticism. A passionate man is, after all, passionate. A dangerous man, I would say. Yeah, I would say he's the most dangerous kind of out of all of these. So, in in her work, does she relate like sentiments like anti-Semitism or anti? I think not. No, but she was very very supportive of the idea of communism and socialism. Although she, at towards the end of his her life, her life she, yeah. yeah. She said that she did not believe in it anymore. She renounced it. So I think that at one point, passionate mm-hmm. men, passionate men and women, can mm-hmm. be uh, can be good for the society if they go for the good things. But if they go for arguments that are not valid, like anti-Semitism or hating immigrants being or being prejudiced, then they can be dangerous people. Wouldn't you agree? I think I would have to disagree over there because they are, in a sense, only, see, they hold whatever they desire as the absolute. They worship it in some sense and when somebody seeks worshiping, it is bound to devolve into fanaticism. Don't you agree? Um, Worship leads to fanaticism in any sense. 
I didn't get you, sorry. What I'm trying to say is the passionate man in Simon de Beauvoir's idea was somebody who was so passionate that nothing other than the object of their desire mattered in the sense that they would go as far as to worship this object, to go to any lengths to achieve it. And whenever that happens, it devolves and degenerates into fanaticism. And where fanaticism is involved, danger is imminent. Yeah, so with fanaticism, with uh, extreme, being extreme, extremely passionate about something, there comes extremism and there comes fanaticism. So what yeah, did exactly. you... Yeah, so what I you don't actually, believe that passionate man it can be a good thing for the society. No, I don't. Okay. I was just actually, I, I don't believe it too. I was just, this is the first time that I've actually uh, heard this idea, to be mm-hmm. honest. And I was just yeah. like, messing, messing around with the ideas. Well, well. Yeah. So I what, believe you've you answered your question. So, some, yeah, someone, someone like Soren Kierkegaard, who mm-hmm. was... Uh, who believed in religion, who believed in mm-hmm. Christendom. So wouldn't you say mm-hmm. that he was also at some point in believing in his religion, being rightful, also was passionate towards religion? I don't believe he was passionate. He wanted to... I think he he was the only person or rather the only existentialist who have existed who wanted to, you know... Mm, create a system which would liberate people rather than show them that they are not free or the different ways through which they choose to not be free. This Simone de Beauvoir's work shows in a more direct manner that people choose to be unfree or are disingenuous to their own existence. Yeah, all, all of our work. Sharon Peter Dad was more subtle than that. She was, he was subtle in the sense that he wanted to create fiction. He created fiction so that to show people that they can be ingenuous but they have to be objective towards themselves if they are going to be genuine to themselves. Yes. Okay. So, so moving have... forward, yeah, I do have another idea of okay. to discuss before we finally end this. So the idea is lack of being. Have you heard of this term before, Chirag? The lack of being. The lack of being. Yeah, what do you think you understand by this particular term? I think that uh, what she meant by lack of being, and I may be wrong here because I haven't really prepared for this, uh, I haven't really read Simone de Beauvoir. What she meant here was like what John Paul Sartre said, that you busy yourself in, in projects. Was it somehow related with this? I think the idea definitely came out of that, but the lack of being itself is creating a void more than creating yes, so, projects. It so, is rather the predisposed vision that is needed to, you know, creation of projects. So, talking about lack of being, lack of being is something which arises from coming into subjectivity of ourselves and the subjectivity of others. Which leads to the positive assertion of our freedom. What does she mean by positive assertion of our freedom? Positive assertion of our freedom in these terms, I believe would mean that we are able to legitimize our own freedom through our actions by creating a void, by creating something that we are not yet, by imagining ourselves in a certain situation or at a certain certain position. So, 
lack of being itself refers to the stacking of goals that are taken up by us. In order to reach the goal, we first turn ourselves into quote-unquote a lack of being. So, to give a couple of examples for our listeners to better understand this idea. So, suppose one of you, any of you, decides that you want to have a master's degree or let's say you want to become a law enforcement officer. So, when you make this decision in your mind, you create lack of being that certain someone, that certain someone who possesses a master, certain someone who is a law enforcement officer. You are not that yet, but you lack being it. Right? So, when you lack being it, when one wishes to become a law enforcement officer, a professor, or to acquire... Don't you think that they're missing on the on the current time in their life while they desire to become someone which they're not right now? Yeah, the lack is the missing of being that thing. The lack of being itself is what they are missing, right? Isn't that the concept which I said? Yeah, what you said is the concept itself, but she called it lack of being and you said missing on it. Missing currently. out on things while you desire for something more. Yeah, but I think you are relating it a little bit to Soren Tigerbad over here, which is not the idea she is going for, but it certainly is an existentialism idea out of existentialist point of view. So, mm, I think you are right, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, definitely. So, by making myself a lack of being, I contribute to human signification, I disclose being. What she meant by this, I believe... Human signification means that a certain human being comes up into your life because of your decision and pursuit of becoming or removing that lack of being, you make other human beings important. Suppose I apply for a college and I have an interview with the same college and I talk to a couple of people. So they are significant for that point of time because I chose to apply to that college to fulfill this lack of being that I created in myself. Wouldn't you agree that uh, this is an idea which is very similar to what Soren Kierkegaard recognized as the word? And I'm not like obsessing over Soren Kierkegaard because, but the ideas are very similar. What he what he said was that to fulfill voids or to fulfill them or to fulfill emptiness, uh, a person will go go through lengths to distract themselves with all the activities. So don't you think that this uh, lack of being is a bit similar? I don't... See, these both are existentialist ideas at the end of the day, so we cannot say that they have no connection whatsoever. But this, in a sense, is ethics of the ambiguity surrounding our lives. I mean, everything that we know as we exist is ambiguous to us. We don't for certain know anything for a fact. Other than what empirical science would have us believe, like the universe is 14 billion years old, blah blah blah. That is the only objective truth, you know. But they don't necessarily assign any meaning to our lives, do they? They, are, that, uh, they right. have their own limitations. Yeah, I think that what Simone de Beauvoir said here was definitely more than what Soren Kierkegaard said. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not uh, denouncing him. I'm just saying that what she said, the lack of being, this whole this whole philosophical theory, explains a lot more than what. So, in case you got said, but I think that in a in a in a way, maybe yeah, they are related according to me. 
Yeah, of course they are because these are existential philosophies at the end of the day. Whether we discuss art or it's a moment of war or gig art. I mean, they obviously will have certain connections. And even Albert Camus and Frederick Nietzsche did work on existentialist questions, although they did not necessarily identify themselves as existentialists. Yes. So, um, so moving forward, have... by lacking the desired goal or undertaking and desiring to achieve it, she said, things will be significant to one's subjectivity. In a sense, to me, lack of being discloses a new subjectivity of the world which holds significance due to the lack of being. The world takes on a certain character due to the lack of being that a subjectivity I become. Being is doing nothing. Renouncing freedom or setting up to be serious without any consciousness to an intentionality, existence is an action. Then do not rebel against what against man. This is to say that men cannot rebel outside of the confounds of other people and other freedoms. So it denounces the concept of metaphysical rebellion. Yeah, because they cannot actually have you any know. control over that situation. Yeah. You're not gonna that, is, that is why that is the reason when I was reading the rebel I I, I decided to not really cover this topic. Mm-hmm. That makes sense at this point of time. But it is again a subjectivity. I mean Albert Camus wasn't an existentialist, he was an absurdist. So his life was absurd. He wasn't an existentialist. He, uh, yes, he was an absurdist, but I mean, many of his works dealt with questions that were in, for, in a form of existentialism. Yeah, but you know, there is a certain thing that I would like to mention over here. Sartre's first work, which was Nausea, I believe, dealt with absurdities. I mean, he started out as an absurdist himself and later on dealt with the idea of humanism being an existentialism rather than being the other way around. <coughs> yes. So, men do not rebel against anything else but against men. And only men can be enemy of men. Only men rob men of meaning. We have interdependence on others. Like I talked about earlier, our freedom is not our own alone, but also creates other freedoms, or rather chances for other freedoms. Now that you have said this, there is one question that uh, that has been stuck with me for a long time, mm-hmm. and that is yeah. that for an existentialist, yeah. an existentialist says that your duty is to free yourself and also to free others. But if, mm-hmm. but if for an existentialist, wouldn't the biggest sin be to deny others freedom? No, of course not. Because to be an existentialist is to recognize that you make yourself and even to think that you want to denounce others, freedom is to create a void wherein you yourself become a tyrant to be complicit with the tyrannies to be a tyrant oneself, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but what I meant was that if, what is the existence list rebelling against then if, I mean, suppose there's someone who is not giving, who is taking someone's freedom, so wouldn't the existentialist consider that that person a threat or that wouldn't that be a bad deed for an existentialist? See, what you're trying to ask, uh, as far as I have been able to comprehend, is that 
with suppressing the freedom of an oppressor be an act of trying to take away freedom itself is that the question you are going for um no my my question here is that mm-hmm. uh, when an oppressor actually oppresses mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. and takes away their freedom so mm-hmm. wouldn't that be the greatest tyranny for an existentialist yeah but existentialist realizes that that would be a tyranny and hence they would never go in that direction you know i mean the whole point of view is that to realize that you are free and to try your best through projects to free others that is the existentialist point of view yeah and that is why i think that this existentialist point of view the question that i was asking you and the question that this question raised within me because of the time that existentialist began and all these there were many oppressors in the, in, in those times in, in the in the time that existentialism progressed in in the 20th century there were many oppressors and so i think that is why existentialism really progressed in that time and so we promised our listeners the the answer that why oh, existentialism is still important today so would you like to give an answer to them i think your question and my answer already gave an answer but yeah why not well, let's have at it so the relevance of existentialism in today's world I personally believe is that when you recognize that the ultimate task is to realize that you are free and to try your best to free others, you cannot be a tyrant. I mean, once you have come into the subjectivity of being an existentialist, when you have realized the immense responsibility on your shoulders to free others, not just yourself through your freedom, you, well, you can't but deny that you have to rebel yeah yeah and so what i really wanted to if you don't have anything else once you want to go out do you have anything no, else please, go on please go on go on go on please so what i wanted to uh, answer to our listeners and viewers is that we don't even know sometimes that we are not free and this world that we live in is great at pretending that we are actually free because when you view 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 at it the world is most of the countries are democracies and but when you really look at it there are a few elite that really control the game and you are actually seen how badly it can affect you if you go anything if you if you cover anything which is not the mainstream perspective so i think that what we really should do today is that we should test the waters we should test how free we are in this society and then if we find something that we are being controlled and oppressed then we should uh, rebel and i think that this is why this invisibility of oppression in our world and i think this is why we should discover and this is why i think existentialism has a great importance in in our times too i would like to say thank you to everybody who listened to our episode i hope you enjoyed it Bye-bye. This is Chirag and... This is Griffey. See you next time. See you next time. Good job.